I think if you don't have the sanctity of the awards that are protected, then you lose the value and you lose the belief in, in your benchmark. So I yeah. think it's um, something that you need to protect at all costs, basically. I'm, first of all, admittedly a little bit awestruck by the fact that you work at the Lions because I it's I have never been there. Always, always, always wanted to go. And um, you apparently get to do this every year. <laughs> Why don't you join us? Well, maybe you... I should. Yeah. <laughs> Forget this New York stuff. It just sounds, it just sounds so, uh, I mean, the reality can't be as good as, as the, as the fantasy, but the fantasy is quite good. It's better. Cause I did my first um, festival last year and I had some expectations as to what to expect. And I was expecting a lot of inspirational talks and, but I think when you see, and when you speak to winners and you see them go on stage and you, you know, you chat to them and they say, oh, this is just going to change my career. You don't understand how much it means to me. It suddenly lends it home because basically the awards are core to Ken Lyons, obviously. And right. then around the awards, um, which started in 1954, we built a festival and then we built um, other ancillary products. But really the benchmark is what makes Lions Lions. And and for me, seeing that really landed it last year. So that was year one for you. That was yeah, that was my my first year last year, and yeah, and this year was even better basically because you know um, we didn't have the COVID cloud hanging over us that we we did in twenty twenty two, where we had some delegates who didn't know whether they'd be able to get into the country, and we didn't know whether they'd be, you know, the the last lockdown in the UK was. I mean, Ingrid, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was early January that year, January 2022. Yeah. So I imagine planning the event must have been a nightmare, right? Yeah, well, I think we sort of waited and sort of did some planning. And suddenly yeah. in March, April, it looked like it was going to go ahead. So so suddenly everything um, sped up. But yeah, I think that the difference from last year was just light and you know night and day and and again i don't have obviously the comparison from previous years because although i was in in marketing and advertising in the past that I, I didn't make it to can um but this year was so much better it was it was even more vibrant than 2022 which was our a big reunion for a lot of our industry um, experts and and guests so i think we need to just make up a, a policy for the customer next year where we need to do this in and can because <laughs> i mean yeah set up a little studio in the ballet and uh, interview loads of people as they come off stage or yeah i think that's that's a great idea you have sold me you've sold me huh? <laughs> <laughs> it took six minutes <laughs> <laughs> i think he arrived and mike was already sold to the idea you know there's that well so uh, um sorry no, no, go ahead. No, I, I wanted to ask Gail, as we were talking about this year, so are there a few things that did stand out for you um, in terms of winners or talks or inspiration? Um, I think personally, my more general highlights were, you know, that, that, that freedom that came, that not having COVID hanging over us, that was definitely, you know, a marked difference between this year and last year. Um, I think we also had a much more diverse audience. And by that, I mean the, the people, you know, the delegates coming to the festival. 
And I think that was potentially supported by loads of different initiatives, including some of um, the ones that we got involved with, like um, we do Seed Beat, which is about empowering female leaders and making sure that they're represented in the industry. And, and it's a cohort of, of 16 female leaders who you know, we bring to the festival and we put them through uh, a whole learning program. But we also had scholarships for, for the first time this year where we brought people with not a lot of experience in the industry, whether they're young or whether they're retrained and, and you know, started afresh. Um, again, to give them this opportunity for learning. And then we partnered up with the, um, the Black British Network and Cephas Williams as part of their Blackout 2023 initiative, which was to bring loads of Black talent in, in the festival. And I think, I think it really showed, basically, and it made it, it, made it a lot more diverse and, and a lot more exciting. And I think, I mean, there were so many talks. Um, I saw, um, I can't even pick one really, because I saw so many inspirational people on stage. You know, I saw um, a Hispanic uh, advertising leader come to talk about the Hispanic pound. And it's not necessarily something that we think about in Europe, but actually it's a huge opportunity. And she was talking about how brands should tap into that. And I also saw um, a film premiere in the Debussy Theatre um, from, again, an, an agency founder from the 70s who was basically um, sharing, sharing his, his journey through the decades and, and setting up a, an advertising agency in California, which was amazing. But it's, I think that's the beauty of the programme where you've got mm. so many different tracks, so many different topics that you can almost you know, choose your own adventure. Mm. I'm I'm struck by a couple of things that you've said. One is one is that you can't remember just pick out a few because there were so many good ones. And having attended an insane amount of events throughout the course of my career, there are probably three talks that I can remember only because they were any good. I mean, <laughs> it there's a dearth of good material in many of the in many of the events that I've attended and and Lion is just the opposite it's apparently packed with yeah it's packed and also what I find really interesting is that we also bring creatives from other industries so we had you know the, the creatives behind the the White Lotus tv show for example or Louis Theroux came to talk about his creative journey and how he seeks inspirations and I think that's what makes it really attractive because you don't just hear from the industry legends, although they've got amazing stories, but you also get the perspective from people outside of, of the marketing and advertising industries, basically. Hmm. So and what you, was your, you, what was your favorite talk? Mine? You say, yeah. You say you can remember two or three. What was oh, this is out of all the years. I think uh, one that comes to mind, which is way more boring than anything you just mentioned. Uh, about four years ago, I was at an event and the people from Starbucks were presenting about their loyalty program, which again, already sounds boring, but uh, the technology that they had developed and the way they were deploying it allowed them to, at the time, I don't know if you're a Starbucks fan or you have their app, but to uh, create offers in real time at a scale which was never before achievable. You know, they have millions of people on their app. So uh, one by one, they're able to understand your activity and your preferences and present offers to you in real time that were just, it blew my mind. 
Now that's commonplace. We, you know, everybody can do that. But four or five years ago, that was a real deal. Mm. Thing. Um, and the other really. ones are probably, I remember them more because how bad they were. <laughs> so we're not going to talk about them. Don't no, want to upset anyone today. Not good at all. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just a few like that. But um, the other thing too is, and is that I don't know if Ingrid mentioned this to you, but we're working on an event, a 2024 event that um, is kind of a cross discipline event as well. It's marketing and advertising uh, kind of deep within those niches. But uniquely, we're doing something that you guys are already doing and have been for some time, which is um, bringing in people from adjacent um, industries and disciplines and, and, uh, and skill sets so that in your world, it's creativity, but in our world, it's more uh, about the disciplines of marketing and customer engagement. Mm-hmm. So they can hear how other people are doing this outside of their verticals, outside of their silos mm-hmm. and their little worlds. And we think there's enormous value in that. And I feel like uh, you just proved my point that uh, it's working for you. So it has to work for us. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, um, so I, we've, we've mapped out a handful of things we wanted to touch on for you, but I think first, can you just, just for context, tell us, about your role there. And then maybe we can talk through some of the challenges and highlights of your role. And then we can kind of uh, kind of roll through the some of the questions that we that we don't mind. Yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure you can tell uh, from my accent, I'm a French <laughs> Londoner, I've been in the UK for, for close to 20 years. And initially, I started my career in advertising and marketing. Um, so I've worked with for, for big brands, you know, mostly D2C like Carlton Warehouse or, or Virgin. And um, a couple of years ago, I was approached by Lions to come and look after the digital products because they've got, you know, we've got this amazing festival in the south of France, but we've got so much more that people don't necessarily know about. Uh, one of them being this subscription platform called The Work, which is... Um, an intelligence platform with loads of insights, all of the winning work for the, from the past two or three decades and um, really tangible tools to inspire uh, creatives and inspire brand marketers. So I guess this really appealed to me because it was moving slightly away from marketing, but moving more into product management and almost general management of, of a business. Cause it's almost, it's almost like lines. I've got really four different businesses into one because we've got the event, we've got lines intelligence, which is my, my digital platform. We've got lines advisory, which help brands um, go on their creative journey. And then we've got lines learning, which is a lot of um, on-site academies, CMO Accelerator, and, and soon a digital product as well. And I just thought that was a, a great sidestep into a broader role, basically, of, of, of leading a product. And um, that's what I've been doing for the past couple of years. Wow. Wow. It sounds fascinating. So you have you have the rights to, to the past several decades of winning work to... Um, to broadcast yes. that or sell it or license it, however you however you can. Oh my gosh, that's just yes, we've, we've got away. all the case studies. <laughs> we've got all the case studies, and it's really interesting because obviously from from that benchmark data, we derive a lot of trends and insights, and and we try to unlock the behind the scenes because it's not just you know oh it's 
it's a great creative work and therefore it's winning. There's a lot of insights and intelligence that, that goes into this. Um, we do we do a lot of um, deep dive into industries or deep dive into a specific brand. So for example, we've, we've recently looked at uh, Nike and their, their progression over the past years when they started to reinvest in creativity and how it's basically impacted their business results. So it's, it's really quite varied. But yes, we've got we've got a big, big um, database of, of winning work and case studies and, and also all the entries, even if they weren't awarded. Um, and we also have a part of the, uh, the platform, which is free for anyone to view, which is called the Work Classic. And it's looking at all the winning work from the 50s. So you can see the first Grand Prix that was awarded in 1954. And, and I personally find that fascinating because at the time it was more, it was more a piece of, of movie basically rather than a piece of advertising. Um, yeah, um, if we ever get together in person and we're all sharing a bottle of wine, I'll, we'll, we'll tell stories about that because I'm, I'm old enough almost to remember those days. Um, well, but, and in 17 years, you haven't been to uh, to Ken Lyons. It's, it's a shame. I, I agree with you. It's a complete shame. <laughs> Something's wrong with my life. It needs to be fixed badly. Oh, my gosh. Well, all of that, because I'm, I'm one of these people who I could sit and watch advertisements all day long. It's, mm. it's, it's my favorite thing to do. And there isn't, uh, that, there's no place that has compiled the best of the best. So I think you're really onto something. Um, I'll, I'll give you access so you can have a look. I, when, when I was growing up in France and, and when I was a student, there used to be a, a, a TV oh. program on Sunday evening called Culture Pub, which is an advertising culture. And it was all about sharing the best ads from all around the world from, from the previous week. And obviously, you know, in these days, the internet was in, in infancy. I don't think YouTube existed yet. So that was the only place where you could see that. And then once a year in different cities around France, they used to do a night of advertising. So you'd literally go to the cinema at 8 p.m. and you'd leave the following morning at 8 a.m. And you'd oh my see. God. That's, no wonder you're so uh, yeah. more advanced than we are. Because it was called it was called La Nuit de la Pub, so the night of advertising. And that was the best thing ever. I completely forgot about that game. Yeah, you did like brilliant. just you did bring it to life again. And Culture Pub was totally the Sunday night unmissable. Yeah, it was like half an hour and it was so good. And uh, yeah, um, it's true. We, uh, we, we probably are more focused on that in France because I don't think any of those things exist in the UK. Uh, that might Definitely go not the in the US. Yeah, mm. but that, that might go with the creativity around... Uh, around cinema and things like that as well. Um, so that's very interesting. So Culture Pub, if it's not uh, trademarked, we're starting it here in the US. <laughs> Our next venture, Ingrid. <laughs> it sounds like a drink. It sounds like a drinking venue. Yeah. But... <laughs> you have to, we could do that you too. To, you have to pronounce it the French way, which is pub and not pub. <laughs> really? Okay. But what's the, what? So in France, what does that word mean? Publicity. Oh, oh, okay. Publicity. Pub. Right, because to me it was yeah. a pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pub. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We have some some cultural barriers to cross here, clearly. <laughs> well, I I uh so my mind's gonna spin on that because I'm just fascinated by it, but I won't I won't bother you with with you know all of that right now. Um 
let's talk about, if we can, some of the highlights from this year's festival. You were there. You have some context. You're a fan of this stuff as we are. So what were some of your personal highlights? I think, of, yeah, I've mentioned a couple around, you know, more diversity. Obviously, you didn't, we didn't have COVID hanging over our heads. Um, I think we also, I, I loved how brands showed up this year at the festival. And by that, I mean, you know, our partners doing activations on the Croisette. Um, because obviously we saw, we saw some amazing activation and Pinterest built on what they did last year to make it even bigger and better. And it's, it was almost like walking into a Pinterest mood board on on that beach. Um, And we had other partners like McDonald's created a McFlurry ice cream van for CMOs, which was great, you know, which was in front of the Palais. We had the biggest Cheetos sculpture in the world, uh, which was celebrating their their win from uh, for their their Cheetos dust campaign last year, so it was all those great you know activations, which it just makes you feel great to be part of that industry, you know, because people are just really passionate about they do what they do. They're passionate about their brands, and they're really keen to to showcase what they do to the world. Um, if you're asking more from a, a trends perspective, um, I guess one of the things that we we saw this year, and it's I'm sure it's going to surprise you, but the rise of AI. Um, obviously, AI is, is everywhere at the moment, and when we analysed our um, award entries, we saw that the proportion of entries mentioning AI in the entry doubled compared to last year. So we went from I think. Um, three point something percent, 3.7 percent to 7.3 percent. But the interesting thing for me was AI as a tool rather than AI as a threat or AI as a replacement for human creativity. It was more a way for people to make, you know, challenging ideas more realistic or maybe to give um, a client with a lower budget the opportunity to still to still develop their idea at scale. So so that was an interesting twist, I think, on it. Um, you know, on the, also saw, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to ask while we're still on the AI topic. Um, I I've seen a handful of adverts that were created using AI and they all, the ones that I've seen so far, and granted, this is not a big, a big universe. Them, all seem like they were using AI as more of a novelty to be able to say that this was created by AI. Mm. And I, and I'm, I'm waiting for that moment when we cross from it being a novelty into it, as you said, being a, a common part of the tool set, just to see where yeah, creative, yeah. creativity yeah. can take us. But I also think, Mike, we've crossed that line now of like, oh, this is cool. It's been created by AI and people write it on it. I mean, when you see people's posts and they say it's been written by AI, I think it was fun week one when everyone was experimenting. We're yeah. way over it now. So things things change yeah. quickly. Yeah. Did, Did you, you see, see that? Oh, go ahead. Did you see that ad by Momentum Effort? That's Ryan Reynolds' um, advertising agency, where they literally got AI to write a script and it's just Ryan Reynolds reading it. I think that's the early days that, that you're mentioning, um, yeah. Ingrid, where, where yeah. it's just fun because it was done using chat GPT rather than... Exactly. Reading. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's interesting, and I, I'm I'm actually pleased to hear what you're saying about like this is a tool and a support rather than people really seeing it as as a risk to uh, the future of creativity. Because I think 
I think that's generally what we as marketers all feel right now and probably also hope to see. Uh, but seeing that it's coming from a kind of much broader uh, range of experts in the industry is quite, uh, mm. is, is, is quite good. I, I personally um, think that we need to add some legal framework around AI oh, and, yeah. and, you know, we need to think about ethics because I think, I think from an independent creator's perspective, if their illustrations, for example, have been used to train AI models, I can understand why it feels like they're, they're not. So, yeah. so they need to be remunerated. Yeah. So I know there's been controversies around that. There's been controversies around the like, le- likeness of famous people as well being used in mm. some deep fakes. And, you know, yeah. so, so you can see the issues. But the, the general idea was AI as a tool. We had some... Um, Intel won, I think, a gold lion in creative B2B for their um, human certified campaign, which was a way for businesses and individuals to basically um, recognize or identify deep fakes. And I think mm. we'll probably see more of these tools yeah. um, being rolled out in the future to, to help yeah. with that. I want to take a quick break from the conversation to tell you about one of our sponsors. What could you achieve if you knew what your customers expected ahead of time? What if you could know what customers expect by category and by brand 12 to 18 months ahead of traditional brand tracking methods? And what if you could know exactly where to adjust and where to spend in order to derive the most benefit every time? A customer expectation audit allows you to identify areas that require strategic reinforcement as well as pinpoint which values will contribute most to an emotional bond with your brand and optimize accordingly. Customerland has partnered with BrandKeys, the world's oldest loyalty-focused consumer research firm, to bring real-world customer expectation audits to brands, brand managers, and to CX practitioners everywhere. Want to know where your brand stands and exactly what to do about it? Go to expectationaudit.com. That's expectationaudit.com and download a sample audit today. Which Were is there great. any pieces that you saw that you can recall that where AI was used as, you know, as part of the creative process, but it wasn't, it wasn't all about the AI? Uh, not, not, no, um, not this year. We saw, we saw some elements where they were used, um, as part of you know the research process or to bring some ideas to life in the initial stages of the creative development process but not necessarily as the end result i so on 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 our lines intelligence platform we run a um, a competition or a challenge every year where our members can join we team them up in in teams of 5 from all around the world, which is quite nice because then they get to work with people from outside their industry or their agency or their or their brand. And um, they work on a pro bono challenge um, to help, you know, a charity. And last year, um, we partnered up with Great Ormond Street, which is a, a global charity to fight um, cancer in children. And our winner actually used AI to create their winning work. So although it's not Lion Awarded, it's still... Um, a very creative campaign where obviously the charity did not have a lot of budget and this team just came up with this concept of creating um, AI dolls because their the original insight is oh wow the cancer cell looks looks like a, a plush fluffy toy 
oh, what if we created those AI dolls and then we sell them as NFT uh, art to help fund the efforts from, from the charity. So Brilliant. I think that was, a, that was an interesting creative way of, of dealing with a low budget and you know, including AI in your creative output. We'll have to look for uh, it. Yeah. That's, that brings a question to my mind, Gail. Um, was the, and maybe you, you have that as part of your stats on your mentions, did you see a, chain, a change in the mentions of Web3, including like NFTs, Metaverse, etc., compared to the year before? That's anecdotal. So it's my perception rather than, than yeah. data, uh, data points. But I haven't seen much work mentioning the Metaverse at all this year, whereas last year there was loads of elements okay. um, of it. And yeah. I wonder if it's almost been superseded by, by AI and the thought process. So it's been really interesting because we saw some really interesting pieces of work last year. You know, one of them being, um, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember, but a, a video game, Burger King sponsoring a very small team uh, in football team in Wales. Um, because all of the, I'm not very good at football, so uh, bear with me. But all of those soccer teams are included in a video game. And basically. Basically, that was a way for Burger King, Burger King to get very famous football players wearing their, their Burger King logo and their T-shirts. And, and again, it was a community-driven um, campaign where then they asked people to select their team. And if they did, they would get Burger King discounts. But that, that, was, that was a really cool example of you know, bringing the metaverse to life. But I, I can't. Yeah, I think, I think it's anecdotal, but I don't think we've seen yeah. that many metaverse pieces this year. Well, to be fair, I think that completely follows the general trend of like what you see in the news and and and, and new things coming up. So, and and I, I completely agree that it's probably been completely like overtaken by AI this year. So, looking forward to this conversation next year. <laughs> next year, too. but you're yeah. still doing improv in the metaverse, Ingrid. So clearly, you I I am doing <laughs> improv in VR. Yeah, but I'm I'm totally ahead of uh... <laughs> bucking the trends. Yeah. Well, next year, it'll all be AI-driven. You won't have to do any improv. You can just basically... <laughs> so um, 70 years is a, is a lot of longevity for any event, especially in media. Um, and yet Alliance continues to be the center of the universe for all of marketing and advertising worldwide. Um, going to make me blush. <laughs> I'm just stating facts. <laughs> so you know one one series of questions i'd love to just unpack with you and we may not even have time today is how did it become the center of the universe and and then you know correlated to how do you sustain that kind of i don't know worldwide impact mm. over time that's a that's a really interesting question and and if I think back, I think it, it it really goes back to user need, basically. Because if you think back about the origin of the festival in 1954, it's actually a group of um, industry advertisers who thought, hang on a second, the Cannes, Cannes Film Festival are rewarding movie makers. We are also making you know, art and, and there's a lot of craft going into the work we produce and therefore we should be recognized for that work. And I think if you think about it, it was really driven by that community of makers and therefore um, 
that's something that 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 industry and those people wanted. And I think over the years, the lions have become, like you said, a benchmark of, of creativity. And for the people that I met last year and this year, when you speak to, especially a first-time winner, because the other one might be a bit more blasé about it, but a first-time winner will tell you, well, it's going to change my career. It's going to, it's such a platform, you know, and because they know that they're going to be able to step into a bigger role and they know that they're going to be headhunted. And we've got a great story of um, a creative, um, a young creative who basically won one of our Young Lion competition a few years ago then went on to be promoted into a creative director, then went to win, win a lion, his first wow. gold lion. And then and then this year they were on the jury. So you can see uh, basically there's a progression, but it's almost like it fast tracks um, your, your career. So for me, it's because it's, it's something that people recognize as useful and worthy in the industry. And I genuinely think that the Lions team, um, that's, not, that's not my part of the business, so I can see it, say it, but the, the awards team is also very good at listening to what people want and basically making changes to reflect the industry. So this year um, we launched the Gaming Lion because advertisers and brands in the gaming industry were, were saying there's no category for us, but look at the great work we're doing. We should be recognized for it. And, and I think it's true also of the talks that um, are being included in the festival, they're very much steeped into user research and, and talking to our clients and our partners and our friends of the industry, just going, you know, what sort of inspiration do you want? What do you want us to, to put on the, on the program? Um, and, you know, this was before my time, but obviously the festival suffered a lot during the COVID pandemic because there was no event if there's no event, there's no revenue coming in. It was it was a, a very hard time. And I think we had some amazing partners, like some of the holding companies who actually supported us through that that um, that difficult times because they told us, we still want you to be there at the end of the pandemic. We, we want there to be a festival. We want there to be the Ken Lions because it's really important for us. Um, so again, I think it's it's just recognized as one of the, the key benchmark for advertising, creatives, brand marketers. And, and therefore, that's, that's how we've been success, so successful for the past 70 years. I mean, you make it sound like it's, um, you know, it's just a model that anybody could follow. But, um, <laughs> but clearly, there's, there's some magic there that, that you guys have been able to wield, find and wield. Uh, that goes beyond just what the you know mere mortals can can produce. I think it's it's seventy years of relationships as well, right? Seventy years of working with these partners. So obviously, if you wanted to start completely afresh, you'd have you'd have to build um, these initial relationships. But and it's true, it's, it's a massive operation. You know, we talk about it. I I, I manage the digital platform. And before the festival, we were chatting about our space in the basement. So we, we're doing an exhibition of the work and then people can come onto the platform and play all the, the different video media and, and whatnot. And we were saying, wow, aren't we so lucky to have a space at Ken Lyons and to have access to this massive event? Because, you know, anybody who started a similar digital platform could probably not afford to take, you know, over the entire basement of the palais to, to so so it's true that we've got we've got a great opportunity there but i genuinely think it's it's basically been driven by our industry and our 
community of creatives. Yeah, I'm I'm just thinking about, you know, my perspective as uh, here in the U.S., somebody who's been in the advertising world who started in marketing because of a passion and a fascination by the whole the whole thing. And uh, our award ceremonies over here tend to be more I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but our award ceremonies are largely pay to play events. Hmm. I might edit that out, but we'll see. There's, you know, there. Um, yes, you're you're rewarding creativity and uh, and spectacle to an extent, but so many of these are driven by. Look, I'm I'm a a well-paying sponsor, high-paying sponsor. Uh, my client should get something here, yeah. and nobody says it out loud, which is why I'm going to edit this, but. Um, <laughs> But it's but it's but largely, we, we all but we all know it. <laughs> we all know it. I know. <laughs> um, you're right, yeah, actually. I, I don't know what events you're referring to here, but I think if you don't have the sanctity of the awards that are protected, then you lose the value and you lose the belief in in your benchmark. So I yeah. think it's um, something that you need to protect at all costs, basically. And, and yeah. that's why we've got really strict rules as to who makes it as a jury president, who makes it as a juries. We've got guidance as to how they should conduct themselves during the judging mm -hmm. process. But ultimately, we're not part of that judging process. We just put in place the best experts of the year to, to work on, mm. on, um, on that. Yeah, and that's why winning one has so much more value than winning probably right. many of those awards my Mike is referring here. to. Yeah. Right. Or even to be fair, even in the UK. I mean yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And that's not to say again, I, I I don't mean that as a pejorative statement, except to say because I do know of some awards where uh integrity is 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 their foremost um quality. That's the, that's their foremost intent. Um but those seem to be the exception, not the rule. Mm. I think the way it works in, in our team anyway is that there's a, there's a divide between teams. There's a team who help manage the entries and help people craft their entries. And then there's um, a team that manages the juries. And then there's, there's a team that manages the program. And, and if you want to go on stage at Catalyons, you have to pitch um you know for for what you want to talk on stage and it's part of the call for content it's very open and transparent and i think that's that's potentially how you can basically make sure that there's no you know bleeding into one area and influencing right. into others basically um you know i, I this is a, another potential can of worms here but we're going to go there anyway <laughs> um so I might lose my wi-fi again Right. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> How convenient. Um, no, uh, Ingrid and I have had these conversations and, and we have with our colleagues all over the place, but DEI efforts um, have, have become something of a double-edged sword uh, for so many companies because on the one hand, regardless of your perspective, I think you have to acknowledge that those efforts are needed on some level regardless of your political persuasion or where you stand on that, on that particular spectrum. Uh, but they can also be a lightning rod for criticism or, you know, brand activism and those kinds of things. And you're right in the center of all of that. 
you probably have a better view to the way that uh, DEI efforts are being worked out uh, in creativity and advertising than most. But I wanted to just ask, do you, based on how you see it at the moment, do you think that DEI efforts overall, if I can even make this kind of a statement, have impacted creativity the way you see it at the Lions? I think I think the general consensus is that the more diverse voices you have in the room, the better your creative input output, rather, and also the less likely your brand might might fall prey to some kind of tone deafness that's not taking into account other people's perspective. Um, I also think. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of that amazing campaign that won um, the Titanium Grand Prix in 2021. Um, it's Dr. Beats by Dre's You Love Me campaign. I don't know if you've seen it. I can I can send it to you after this call if you, if you want to take a look. But basically, um, I remember one of the jury members, um, Trevor Robinson, who's creative director at um, Quiet Storm, who explained in an interview that if he hadn't been in the jury room judging this work, it probably wouldn't have won because he was the only person in that room giving the perspective of a black man in, in the creative industry, a black person in the world. And therefore he was able to advocate on behalf of this campaign, explain how impactful it was for, for, for this community and you know, basically convince the other jury members to, to award it. So, it might have won without him in the room, but it might not have um, won. And I think it's really important to get this representation. And that's why we've been doing some work with um, a DNI consultancy called the Unmistakable to help us make sure that our jury members, the people that, that are on stage, are very representative of our society and that we've got more diverse voices in the room. But I think generally, when you think about some backlash about brands over the past few years, I think it's because it lacked, and I'm not going to give any examples, but I think it's because it lacked someone in the room who was able to give a female perspective on something or, you know, an, an other lens, basically. So I think generally it's good to have diverse teams and you get more ideas and you, you also get, you know, yes, a better representation of all. And it's great because it seems that you're making that effort at every single level of where you can impact it. So you were talking earlier about getting delegates from more uh, diverse backgrounds, and then you have the jury. And obviously, all of that, it's a little bit of a bottom-up approach. That means that at the top of all of that, the creativity is there embracing that diversity, which is, which is brilliant because you just infuse it from within and uh, and 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 hopefully it grows organically and we don't need to have that mm. conversation in five years time yeah i think our ceo simon cook is is a big champion of diversity and inclusion and i think you know before his his time um a general view was well we're just a representation of the advertising industry. So mm -hmm. the people on our juries are on our juries because of their past experience. But obviously it doesn't help fix any kind of systemic issues right. that, 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 yeah. that there might be in the background. So I think having, 
you know, holding ourselves accountable as to who we put on our juries and making sure their representative is really important. And like you said, it's more than just the people we employ. Mm. It's also the people that we, mm. we help give um, a platform to express their views, basically. The, um, I'm, I'm making up a new term today um, called DEI washing, because I was thinking of, you know, look, you know, <laughs> You, your organization has hired a consultancy, I think you called them the unmistakable, mm-hmm. um, to help to help in that in that regard. And um, you know we've seen we've seen which I think shows a commitment. Whatever that that relationship looks like, it shows a commitment on some level to those those principles. Um, and at least in this country, um, it's really easy to see, how companies have taken the idea of uh, uh, environmental sensitivity and those kinds of things and basically applied a sticker solution to it. You know, here's our thing, here's our campaign, here's our our, our person that manages that effort um, without any real cultural change. And, um, but those are easy to detect. Um, you know, I think if you see a company or an organization like yours, that's, that's making an investment. To, again, I don't know what the unmistakable charges for their efforts, but you know, <laughs> there's there's some there's some commitment there on uh, on Lions' uh, part to make sure that happens. I think that's uh, the yeah, protection think- from DEI washing, if that's even a thing. <laughs> yeah, and again, to, to Simon's credit, he realized also that implementing the recommendations of of the the, the, the unmistakable required someone whose job it was to do this full-time because obviously otherwise people do that on the side of their desk and then things might might fall through so um our colleague frank starling joined us back in april as our vp of dni and he'll be taking charge of our different talent programs that are here to help bring more diversity to to can lines and beyond and i think he's also here to help bed this into the culture of the company he's started by you know running internal trainings around psychological safety and and I think he'll make a big impact and and his team will grow and basically make sure that like you said it's not DNI washing it's it's literally we believe it's the right thing to do and therefore we're putting our money where our mouth is mm-hmm.